Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Yeah, hello, I'm Jake. I support Newcastle. Uh, I write for EPL Index and Total Dutch Football, and you can get me on Twitter at Jake Jackman with two N's. Hi guys, I'm Jim. I'm the Leicester City representative for the EPL Roundtable. You can find me on Twitter at JimNar88. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Up first, of course, we have Making the Rounds, where we each have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening at our club this week. Jake, tried to have you on Sunday. didn't work out. Now we can hear from you. You draw Manchester City. You beat Swansea. It looks like, looks like your trajectory is pointing upwards. Have you changed your mind on whether or not you can stay up this season? Yeah, well, when I uh, recorded the little segment last week, I said uh, stranger things have happened. And, but I wasn't expecting four points from these games. And I think, you know, we're right back in the mix uh, when it comes to the relegation battle alongside uh, Norwich and Sunderland. I'd still say we, we're the favourites to go down out of the three. But it, it's nice to have hope and there's sort of a, a belief in the fan base that we can do it. I think um, if we are to do it, we need to win three of our last four games, um, which means beating one of Liverpool or Spurs, which, you know, could happen. Um Especially on the last day, it, it, depending on what's happening with the, the title race, you know, uh, um, if if Leicester have already won it at that point, it could be a, a more mo- yeah, it could be an easier game. But you know, we'll, we have to wait and see and see what happens over the next few weeks. But yeah, it's, it, I am positive um, at the moment. I think Benitez has sort of organised the team a lot better. We look a lot better at the back. I think Jamal Lascelles is a big reason for that. He has uh, come out and criticised the players uh, after the Southampton game, and I mean, it's sad that it. It took a you know a young a young English defender who hasn't had much first team experience to sort of say that about the uh, more experienced players, but you know it, it seems to have had some sort of effect. So I think that's a huge positive going forward. I think he's going to be a um, big part of our future, regardless of what division we're in. Uh, I think the uh, Swansea game, you know, three 0 I don't, don't think that's a fair reflection of the, the the game. I think we took the lead, and then it was very nervy. Swansea could have got back in it, and then. The substitutions changed the game, and you know we got the three 0 which probably flattered us somewhat. But it's a crucial win, especially um, after what happened at Carrow Road with the uh, Sunderland victory. It sort of pushes everyone back uh, together, which makes the end of the season very exciting for the neutrals. Not so exciting for me. I think I'd, I'd much rather be in a, a mid-table me- uh, mediocrity like uh, Watford and you know Bournemouth teams like that. But we are where we are, and we're just going to have to for the best uh the city game um obviously the the off was a joke one of the worst i've seen in a long time and when when you couple with it uh the decision we got at the etihad where we're one nil up 
um, the ball was cut back to Mitrovic. It wasn't. He wasn't even ahead of the ball. Like it, it was. The ball was cut back and it was given offside, which is ridiculous. That's two decisions we've had this uh, season against Manchester City. And if they change, we could have six points because you know we go two 0 up at the Etihad. It, you know, you, you'd fancy us there. So it's it's, it's really disappointing that and these Aguero sort of decisions were well made. Offside on his goal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know, I mean. That cha- that would change the game completely. We could have gone on the Toulouse four 0 if that that hadn't been given. You never know, but um, yeah, it's, it's disappointing that those sort of decisions are being made. But yeah, we bounced back well. I think um, you could see the fight which we've been lacking all season. If we've had that for the, the you know the the other thirty odd games, I think we'd be in mid table safe. I think that's a big reason of where we where we are where we are. It's um, down to the desire and sort of lack of passion on the pitch under McLaren, but that's, that's sort of come back. And you, um, the performances of Tiote and Anita, were especially, uh, and Sissoko even, were, were especially sort of pleasing because they've been uh, inconsistent for their whole Newcastle careers, but they seem to have really been galvanised by Rafa, which is a really, really pleasing thing going forward, especially Sissoko, because he has... He has the ability to win matches on his own. And if he continues to play like he is, I, th- I think there's a chance he could do that either at Anfield or at, against Tottenham on the last day, which is what we really need. Yeah, so it, there's, there's positives, but at the same time, I, I still think we're likely to go down. This, this is sort of like a false dawn of a, of optimism and we're probably going to lose Rafa and we'll be back to square one. But I'm hoping that we get these three wins because I, I think if we do, we're going to have a really exciting future. Yeah, and, and I did want to touch on that. Like you said, th- these recent performances seem to project well. Still with Rafa Benitez's future in the air, if you go down or not. Regardless, will you feel more confident having seen a bit more life from your team in the past few weeks? Yeah, definitely. I, I feel more confident. But it's it, it's not really in our hands, I don't think. I think uh, our fate is dependent on how Sunderland and Norwich do. Um, and Sunderland are, are excellent at... Going on these late runs and getting three or four wins at the back end of the season to stay up. So, I'm still, I'm still not, I'm still not expecting to stay up. But I'm, com- I'm more confident than I was a week ago, and that's, that's it's pleasing that there's some sort of fight there. And we were we're not just going to do a Villa and fade away. I think that that would have been that would have been really disappointing. But so it's it's excellent to see that the fight. But I still think it could be too little, too late. Yeah, and and I think a lot of people would have been disappointed if if two clubs the size of Villa and Newcastle had both gone down without a little spark of life. So uh, at, at least you have that going for you. You know what? You should make T-shirts. At least we're not Villa. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jim, part of what Jake just said would be really helpful for you. If you won your next three, that Newcastle match doesn't matter. It keeps Jake up. I'm torn here. Helps the podcast. Bad for Tottenham. Obviously, huge news happening at Leicester with Jamie Vardy's suspension, likely to end up being two matches. Are you starting to feel the heat on your tail? Yes. My tail is well and truly singed. I am uh, feeling physically sick on a daily basis about this now. It was better when we were crap, because then I had nothing to worry about. But now, we're good, and <laughs> stuff happens, and then you get nervous about stuff that might not happen. No, I should... I should I should listen back to some of the old pods when I just you know it, it shouldn't be overlooked this week that we secured Champions League football for the first time in the club's history. Mm. Um, oh, with City, uh, isn't it automatic? Yeah, yeah so it's a top three <laughs> guaranteed now, which means obviously the group stage. Because the last thing you want to be doing is have a really uncertain summer where you know you could potentially sell quite a lot of your best players and then have to go and face like Besiktas or Galatasaray or Olympiacos or someone like that. 
you know, some really tricky um, trips in that qualifying round. So it's um, yeah, that's that's kind of been on the agenda this week. A lot of kind of uh, fans getting very excited about following Leicester in Europe again, which hasn't been the case for kind of what since two thousand and one, I guess two thousand two. Um, so it's been a good fourteen years since um, we've been able to kind of book flights and look at potentially going abroad to watch Leicester outside of like a pre-season friendly. Um, and it's you know it's fantastic news, and ev- I think everyone is just kind of over the moon. But Claudio Ranieri, obviously, when he's asked about it, will I, I say just guess that he'll say that you know the minds have still got to be focused forward. We've got to be looking at what's going to happen in the next game and focus on winning the title, and then we can celebrate afterwards. Have you already started preparing your "it's actually okay" speech the way I had to do like a month ago with Tottenham? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's difficult, isn't it? Because I I was saying just before we came on air that it's it's got to that point now where Leicester really should win the league or should have won the league if you took it before the last set of games. Like certainly after we beat Sunderland, um, you look at the the points difference and the games remaining, and yeah, there were a few kind of potentially tricky matches, but given how well we were grinding it out and we hadn't conceded a goal in forever you kind of couldn't see Leicester slipping up to the extent that would allow Tottenham back in. Mm. Um, but now, you know, the, the West Ham result coupled with Tottenham's kind of emphatic win, which you'll obviously touch on later, but you know, that is, has kind of put the cat amongst the pigeons. And then Jamie Vardy's potential suspension, which is kind of unconfirmed at the moment as we, as we record, but looks set to be, well, from, from the indications that I've certainly got, it's going to be extended by at least one match, I would imagine. Um, I can't see the FA just suddenly deciding that they're not going to charge him with an extra game because the whole point is they raised the kind of disrepute charge in the first place, um, the misconduct charge. So Diego Costa got to get an extra game and a fine earlier on in the season. I should imagine Vardy will probably be suspended for the United game. I think three would be would be a bit too far considering it was two yellows and it was a very contentious second yellow as well. Um, it, you know, if it was a clear-cut yellow, then maybe they've got grounds to to tack the extra game on for the abuse of the ref, or even two. But with it being a contentious decision in the first place in a kind of high-profile match, then I think the the authorities will probably look on it as if one game is is enough, um, essentially banning him from half the rest of our season. So <laughs> it's um, it's a huge loss. Obviously, he's he's kind of been our talisman this season. Um, a chance for the others to step up, I guess, and just a matter of hoping that the, the squad can continue to tick along without that, that leading man and that we can pick up enough points and, and maybe Tottenham do us a favour and drop a few along the way to make things easier. Yeah, as it stands now, you'd have to have a draw and a loss for Tottenham if we won out to be level on points. Obviously, go sell us on goal difference, which is plus 39 now, which is bonkers. Yeah. So you need eight points to secure the title because that takes it further than us being able to draw you how many do you think you'll get in your last four matches? It's difficult because if it were it not for Jamie Vardy being suspended, if you know, even if we'd drawn that game two two and Vardy was still in the team, you'd say like I'd be nine, very probably like probably, probably. I'd, yeah, I'd be very confident of beating Swansea. I'd be very confident of taking something from United and then winning at least one of the last two. <laughs> I'm gonna um, give you a hint. So, It'd be Everton. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, don't get me. And and this is you know, if you, if you're coming at it from a, a pro Leicester point of view, you're still looking at those games, thinking Swansea are probably already 
you know, having their minds on their holidays (laughs) on the beach, playing on their with their flip flops on, um, and booking their flights to Dubai, and uh, finding which shisha bars they're inevitably (laughs) going to find themselves in. Um, It's you would think that's a winnable game even without Vardy, and then Everton are not only terrible have a manager under a huge amount of pressure, but also potentially have a cup game to and focus no on. You know, they do manage to get, get through. <laughs> yeah, and no centre-backs. Um, and if they do manage to get through in the FA Cup, then obviously the players will, you know, be, that will be the pinnacle of their season. So they'll be looking forward to that. You don't want to get an injury a couple of weeks for a cup final. So, you know, do you phone it in for the last couple of weeks, knowing that you're, the, you know, the worst case scenario is you're going to finish 12th or 13th when you're already 11th. You know, does that make a huge amount of difference to the players? Probably not. Um, they've still got some very high-profile assets there, and they're still going to be for sale for the right price, I would imagine, regardless of their performance in the last couple of weeks. Plus, you've got plenty of internationals looking at the Euros as well. You know, you've got the likes of Ross Barkley, John Stones, depending on his injury, Lukaku, people like that, all looking at the Euros, thinking, I don't want to get injured here. Um, So, yeah, I'd still be convinced that we could win there. It's the United game that's a bit tricky without Vardy because he's terrorised them in the last few times that we played them um, under Van Hal. So uh, it would have been nice to have him on the, on the pitch for that game. If not, then, you know, you just have to adjust slightly. And then maybe we'll go to Chelsea. I'd like to think Chelsea might do us a favour on the last game of the season to, to stop Tottenham winning it. But in reality, they I don't might think pass that's it into their own net the way Gallus To be right. fair, yeah, I don't know if it'd be quite, you know, obviously not that, but I do think there's a certain element of they have nothing to play for. They have a manager who's essentially saying goodbye to to the team for the second time they've got a brand new manager coming in but again there's quite a lot of players who are probably going to get shipped out so you know did like you know hazard if he's pushing for a move does he want to get injured ahead of the euros um where he could put himself in the shop window for a big big bid if if conte doesn't fancy him um you know you've got lots of kind of ifs and buts and maybe so if you're looking at it from a pro Leicester point of view we're still in the driving seat we've just kind of got to get ourselves across the line and there is that inherent pressure now of you know you've got Tottenham bearing down on us looking pretty solid unlikely to to drop another point potentially uh, I know you've got to go to Chelsea as well but it's you know it's difficult and it's it's it, as I say it's it's kind of making me feel a bit queasy just thinking about it and talking about it at the moment. Yeah, it will be really interesting to see what Chelsea teams get put out against our two teams because it feels like we're gonna get their best eleven and they've already shown a willingness to put some of the kids in. Miazga got a start. Um, they probably don't play uh, Bertrand as much as they should, but uh, you know they. <laughs> I am honestly forgetting the one with the the hyphenated name because there are so many right now. Lost this cheek. Yeah, because in my mind I'm I'm doing the Borthwick Jacksons and the Fosu Mensas. Yeah, um, there's far too many double barrel names around. Yeah, and then we have it? Walker Peters and Cameron Carter Vickers that are both in our youth setup. Calm down with the hyphens, parents. <laughs> that's that's really that's that's what I want to hang my hat on on today's show. Um, no, but you make some excellent points there uh, about Leicester. You mentioned our, our 4-0 win against Stoke, which was our last match. Didn't get to talk about it on the last show because it took place on Monday, as do our next two matches. Um, and a lot of people have mentioned you know, the, the difficulty in constantly playing after Leicester and was it going to get to us. And I think the most promising sign in the recent times has been that we have pretty quickly dispelled that uh, with the 3-0 against United and then the 4-0 here against Stoke. 
Um, so I am, I am very pleased with our trend. It just is, is Leicester going to drop enough points? <clears throat> Which, to be fair, before that United game, when we were allegedly going to crumble under the pressure, we were 10 points behind. And now it's just five. So it's already been halved. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't think so. We'll get there. We'll, we'll get there. <laughs> Give me a sec. I have to talk about this Stoke match. Because the scoreline at 4-0 was honestly a kind one for Stoke. Ali, Erickson, and Rose all had one-on-one chances that weren't converted. Like, this easily could have been 7, arguably could have been 8. And they only had two shots on target, and neither of them were particularly troubling. The most troubling part for Lloris was a, a player sent in across. I think it was Jeff Cameron, and it just kept floating to the top corner. And for that, he just had to reach his arms up and save it. But but it didn't look like it would be troubling, and it was the only time you kind of saw him have to shift a, bl- a little bit. But the defense was incredible. Every time we started to feel threatened, someone stepped into a passing lane or got a quick poke check in. That's a shout-out for the Stanley Cup playoffs. Um, Kane continues his race for the Golden Boot, scored a brace, has now scored more goals this season with 24 than Aston Villa have with 23, which is one of my favorite stats. Two of the best comments I've heard about Harry Kane this week and his finishing. One, that Harry Kane can find the bottom corner of a circle. And two, that even Harry Kane could finish the Song of Ice and Fire. Um, <laughs> which are both tremendous uh, compliments. Erickson took control of this match the way I always say that he doesn't. Uh, especially in the second half. The looming Vardy suspension does open up the title race. But we, like I said, we need them to lose and draw and for us to win out. If we draw or lose a match, then we need the same result added to their tally. I think the Chelsea one is, is the big one. Like I said, I think we're going to get their best 11 while you won't have to deal with that. Um, I, I, the, the mind is still doubting our odds. But after seeing how we've played the last two weeks, the heart is, is starting to believe. And it's going to be real problematic probably when we don't win it. Um, <laughs> like I asked Jim about the speech there I've already had to recite the rhetoric of Coming in second is much better than we ever should have been And we haven't bottled the title race We never should have been in it, etc, etc, etc But neither should Leicester have So um, it, it is really a remarkable achievement Regardless of which side goes We talked a little bit before we started recording It does seem like the general fan population Has now started shifting sides I've gotten a lot of comments this week from neutrals Saying you know, we've been playing the best football, and <laughs> one journalist said that we've been the best team in, in the Premier League since November, which if you look at the statistics and the points earned, is literally not true. Um, but I see what they're saying. A lot of fans have said that we were the most dangerous side they faced the year. I think, Jim, a lot of people are starting to figure out a little bit of the play style and becoming a little less enthusiastic about it as they were early in the season. Hey, have you started to feel that from the Leicester side? I think it's changed a little bit. Um, I think it's all fun and games when you're winning 3-2 from 2-0 behind. I think that really grabs the the kind of um, the attention of the neutrals. And I think it's very easy to like teams that are very gung-ho, which is, I think, what Everton are kind of getting the balance of wrong. But if, if, you know, if they were slightly more defensively minded then they'd be a kind of real neutrals team as well. I think they were earlier on in the season when they were having these real kind of ding-dong battles um, and kind of that fearless attitude. 
when you tighten things up and you start winning one nil every week um, and you're having kind of one shot on target or whatever and it's going in, then I think it, it kind of it doesn't taint it a little bit, but it doesn't appeal quite so much to people who might otherwise be kind of enthusiastic about it. And I think, like you say, we've had to adapt because people are figuring us out. People aren't defending quite as high up the pitch and giving us the space to run in behind anymore. So it's kind of gone a little bit more long ball now um, and kind of trying to make those balls stick rather than balls over the top, which is fine. Um, and it, it's worked to some degree. But I think, yeah, that, that's all played a part really in in people kind of coming around. Plus, Tottenham are a really good team full of young English players for the most part as well. Um, which I think really kind of galvanises the country behind them. So I think there's been this kind of shift in Leicester's fairy tale would be brilliant, aren't they a fantastic team, towards actually this t- the spine of the Tottenham team could well be the spine of an England team that we're watching for kind of the next six, seven, even you know up to ten years in the case of someone like Harry Kane or Eric Dyer. Um, you know, so... I think that that's kind of taken over a little bit as well. There's a kind of been a shift in the public mentality um, towards Tottenham for that reason as well. Yeah, all excellent points. Uh, earlier today, there was a leak of the PFA Team of the Year, which was very quickly responded to with the actual announcement of the PFA Awards. I don't know if... Uh, I'm assuming that that was already planned, <laughs> but it was funny timing-wise. But it was leaked, and then they're like, oh, here you go. Um, but... If you look at this year's Premier League Team of the Year, it's not tremendously surprising. So you have De Gea in goal, then you have Bellerin at right back, Wes Morgan and Alderweireld at centre back, Danny Rose at left back, then you have Payet and Mares and uh, Della Ali in the midfield with Vardy and Kane up top. Uh, were any of the? Oh, and Conte. I missed Conte somehow. Um, who obviously, as Jim mentioned like a month ago, people just randomly decided was super good, uh, despite the fact that you've been playing that way all season. My question for you guys, uh, do you think there were any undeserving members in this group? Do you think there was a big snub that really deserved to be in? Just what was your take of this whole reveal? Yeah, uh, for me, I think the the lack of Mesut Ozil in that team is quite bad. Um, I, I'm just going to repeat a few things that um, um, Dan was saying earlier who uh, often comes on the podcast. He was saying how um, Meza Ozil has had the best creative season since stats have been recorded, which I, that is just a phenomenal thing. Not, not, not even only football stats, this, all stats. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, all stats, <laughs> exactly. It's, um, yeah, he's, the, he's got an incredible amount of assists. He's got, and he, even outside of that, he creates so many chances. And I think in the second half of the season, he hasn't, as well, I think there was a first early that Adam Johnson has had more assists than uh, Mesut Ozil in the second half of the season uh, in 2016, even though he's been in jail for yeah a month or so. So that, that's quite a funny stat. But I think Ozil still created the chances. I think it's the Arsenal front line that has sort of been failing him in the second half of the season. I think his snub is due to the drop in form of Arsenal, which it should that shouldn't really come into to account I think it should be based on individual performances and he's been exceptional so I think I'd say he's been the best midfielder in in the league this season so I mean the fact he's not in that team is is ridiculous Um, the thing is though who do you drop for him I think there's a case for Payet but I think he's he's been quite he's been you know he's carried West Ham to where they are right now so I'd probably say it's Ali that drop out 
But then you have the narrative with him coming from League One, being English, being, you know, a teenager, doing all these things. And, you know, the goals he scores and things gives him the headlines. Outside of that, I think, you know, there's a case for having Lukaku or Aguero ahead of Vardy. But I think that would be harsh on Vardy. He's had um, another one who's had an exceptional season. I think, again, the narrative of Leicester has played a part in him being in the team. And the and the defense makes sense to me, but I mean the big one is Ozil not being in that team. I think that, especially when you take in in consider it, I mean that that stat alone that he's had the most uh, creative seasons and stats to be recorded is just incredible. So yeah, I mean he's in the running for Player of the Year. But he's not even in the Team of the Year, which is just stupid. <laughs> we have seen silly things like this before, like when Bale won Player of the Year and was younger than Hazard, but Hazard won Young Player of the Year. Um, so yeah, the PFA no <laughs> doesn't really stick to its guns all that frequently. Uh, Jim, one of the smaller surprises for me, not not that there was a lesser defender in the team, just that it was Wes Morgan ahead of the likes of Fuchs, who I think could have taken Rose's spot, or Huth, who's had a pretty good season as well. Just starting off with Lester, do you think they got the right defender in there? Yeah, I think... Wes has been on a par, if not slightly better than Hoof this season. Um, Hoof obviously scored the, the big goal against Tottenham. Uh, Morgan got one as well a few games ago. So there's kind of not a lot to choose between them. I think the fact that there is a story behind Wes and kind of where he's come from in the sense that he spent all of his career before uh, Leicester got promoted in kind of League One and, and the Championship as well. I think there's some kind of sense that there's as as Jake said you know with the um Deli Ali thing instead of Mesut Ozil which I'm kind of ambivalent about to be honest I'm not a huge stats person um really I like, I understand it, you know I understand the the Arsenal kind of rhetoric of he should be in there because he's had this amazing season but I I wasn't up in arms when he wasn't named in the team um, mostly because, like you say, it's who do you drop out of the other two, and I, I think you know they've both made more than convincing cases uh, to be in the to, to be in the eleven in central midfield. Uh, in terms of Wes against Huth, um, you know you'll remember Kev that I was not a big fan of Wes Morgan last year in, in terms of his Correct. performances, um, and I think it's as much about the improvement and the kind of narrative that comes with that than it was anything else because you know I, I've been on record several times as saying that I think Wes um, has improved immeasurably under kind of Huth's stewardship and that they really have formed this amazing partnership whereas Huth was a really good defender on his own Wes really needed Huth to, to kind of play alongside him to get the best out of him but um, you know the, the confidence that he's got on the ball now um, and the way that he's developed he has he has kind of excelled past Huth in that, in that sense, um, considering where he started from at the tail end of last season. Um, so yeah, I, I think they probably got the right defender in there. I also think that you know, it's it's kind of I don't know. I guess it's kind of that's never going to happen again that you're going to get a central defender from uh, League One who's comes through at, at his age certainly to to kind of potentially lift the Premier League title as captain. So that kind of plays into it as well, that whole kind of captain rhetoric um, and kind of being the leader as much as a strong central defensive presence. Um, so yeah, you could make a case for either of them, really. But when you've only got 11 and you've got a player 4-4-2, you know, there are going to be some slightly controversial calls in there. And 
I, I certainly would. I, I would have felt more aggrieved if if Morgan wasn't in there than I am about Huth not being in there. So you know that by virtue of kind of you know just process of elimination probably means that they have got the right player. Mm. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, um, the one that was surprising to me, which Jake mentioned there, is that Sergio Aguero has uh, been in how many PFA teams of the year? Uh, none in his entire career. So while it is, and it's been the same thing every year where you think he should be, and then what these guys have both mentioned, you you come down to who gets left out for him, and it's just it's just very difficult. I, I am not deluded enough to think that Harry Kane is a better forward than Sergio Aguero, um, but the, as everybody's mentioned, narrative is a huge part of these votes. Another thing is timing, which is why Utzel isn't up there. Um, a, a, a sneaky thing that I, I thought could happen based on the Philippe Coutinho factor was Gilfie Sigurdsson, who was iffy in the first half, but then has had a tremendous 2016. Pretty much since the turn of the year, nine of his 11 goals have come this half of the year, propelled Swansea from what was a relegation battle to relative safety. I, I thought that could have been an interesting one, but that that relies on that being one of the bigger story points of the season, and there have been far bigger turnarounds and upsets this season. Um, but with the Aguero thing, he's won two titles in a golden boot, but neither of those are decided by the time votes need to be in. And I, I think it's actually quite strange that the awards are done before the season is over for this award, but also for like the big individual awards. Like, say Mares or Vardy win Player of the Year, which they probably will. I think it'll be Mares. And then Kane goes on to win the Golden Boot and scores like three in our last goal, of the, uh, last game of the season to win the title. And then everybody's going to look back, and it's going to be yet another in a long line of PFA decisions with question marks next to it. Like, Kyle Walker was Young Player of the Year in the Premier League. It'll be four and five for Tottenham. I'm not sure all of them deserved it. Um... And that's from a person that supports those clubs. I can only imagine what people outside of those clubs are saying. Gareth Bale won Player of the Year the first time because he dismantled Inter Milan in the Champions League. It wasn't even based on what he did in the Premier League. So some of these get a little iffy. Um, Otso, you mentioned, will be feeling hard done by for sure. Don't look up Otso on Twitter unless you just want to read a whole bunch of enraged... Uh, Arsenal fans on there. You did mention he's had a terrific season, dominating chances created, 30 more than Ericsson, who's in second. 
but he does have just two assists in 2016. And Jim, I know you're not a stat guy. Um, so we'll move it to what you were saying, which was about the forwards. Because you can pretty directly link Otsel's drop in assists and other counting statistics with Giroud's drop in form and then overall being dropped from the side. It, there's this weird issue where it's like a, a Venn diagram of <laughs> Otsel, Alexis, and Giroud. And only two of them can really play well at a time. And it's usually Giroud that's the one that falls out of that. Um, and as I mentioned, this this is all about the timing of the voting. Like, for Aguero, he much would have rather waited till the end of the year. He has 22 goals in 27 matches. But Manchester City have disappointed, so he can't have been that great. You have the same thing um, with some of the Chelsea guys, but none of them have really been tremendous. Um West Ham, like you were saying, like Pyatt gets the nod because of what he's done for West Ham as well as being tremendous. And it does seem that that is often the deciding point. As for Utzel, I kind of agree that he didn't deserve to be left out entirely. And while Ali has turned it on at the perfect time in the second half, whereas Utzel was good in the first half, much like Fabregas last season, um, I, I think that he has a very flashy play style. He's young in English, which Jim mentioned. Uh, and he's just very charismatic as well with all of his teammates. And, and I'm sure a lot of the people in the England setup are very excited about him. So anybody that's been in those international camps with him might have given him a little bit of a boost. I, I think that Dembele is of more importance to our team than Della Ali. Because we, we have other creators. We have Ericsson. We have Lamella. We have Son when he decides to have a less than horrible first touch. We have Chadley in there who can also do it. Ryan Mason, for all of his sins, is a pretty decent passer of the ball, but we don't have anyone that can replace Dembele. Uh, you want to know how many of our losses came without Dembele starting in the midfield? I'll give you a hint. It's all four of them. So I, I honestly think the order would be Utsal, Dembele, Ali. I don't even think Ali would be there ahead of Dembele in our own squad, but uh, the, the votes have come out, so... Very, very pleased that we've gotten four players in there. Danny Rose was a bit of a surprise, not because of his performances, just there doesn't seem to be any intense narrative around him. Moreno's had a decent season. Fuchs, you know, what was it? Like the first eight to ten games, he didn't really get into the team, and then he really turned it on as soon as he did. Also, fun fact, he can cross the ball for people <laughs> that were unaware. Um... But pleased to see him in there. I honestly think Toby Alderweireld has been the best center back in the Premier League this season. And I don't think that's too crazy of a thing to say. The only argument for a Tottenham player that didn't make it, that could have, is Hugo Lloris. But I'm willing to admit what De Gea has done at United has been much more impressive. And part of that is because our defense has improved so much that Lloris has had much less to do this year than he has in years past. So if you're looking at saves and stuff like that, I definitely think that it, it leans De Gea's way. So I'm not particularly upset about that i saw some tottenham fans who were like it should have been five and i do think city and arsenal fans have a much larger uh argument for why they have uh no one or in arsenal's case bellerin in there um than we do for why we don't have five uh and, and i do think it's interesting that it's leicester and tottenham largely and and that kind of brings it back to voting happening now do you think it would have shifted if we already knew where they finished like it almost felt like it was hedging bets not that either team hasn't far surpassed their expectations, but you go with this kind of split. It's four and four, and then 
significant decreases for every other side. Um, oh, is it just one from each other team? De Gea is one. Bellerin's one. Yeah. Payet, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's one from everyone, and then four from the two sides chasing the title. I, I, I wish there was less narrative involved. I wish they'd wait till the end of the season. Because there is no way that Aguero would have never been in a Premier League team of the year if they did it at the end of the season. Especially uh, with the game-winning goal against QPR to win them the title at the death. Like, if you want to talk about narratives, that's about as good as you're going to get. The Premier League has put that clip at the front of so much of their advertising and commercial stuff for years since then. But moments like that happen after this is over. We're doing this in April. And I, I just find that very strange. Do you, th- do you think that maybe it is because Aguero is not a very likable person? And that's why he's not getting the votes? Interesting. I, I mean, I mean, you don't, really, don't often think of that with uh, players. It's like Suarez with the... Ballon d'Or, he doesn't get the votes because he's not very likable. Mm. That, could, that could be a, be a reason for Aguero's omission for, forever, really. I mean, like, I can't think of why he hasn't been in one. Yeah. For purely footballing reasons. Yeah, no, it, it's a good point. And these are the players that are voting for it, and I think that does have an impact. Like I was saying for Ali, like Jim was saying with Wes Morgan, that you do have that captain factor, and so there's a natural respect there. It, I mean, it's never felt like Aguero was a leader at City. By any stretch. No, I, I think that's a really interesting point. I don't personally <laughs> know Aguero, so I don't I can't attest to that. But I, I think that it definitely makes sense in terms of who's voting. And if they aren't fond of him, think he's a bit too flary, goes down easy sometimes, he's constantly injured, said he should already be doing well. There could be many reasons why, but for me, yeah, it does seem like he should have been in there. Jim, I've got you, yeah. a slight... I've got a slight... Um, potential as well. Like I think Aguero is one of those players. I haven't actually looked this up, so it, it might be completely wrong. But I've never let that bother me before, so I'm going <laughs> to go with it. Um, he he is a player who he's not a flat track bully, but he scores a lot of goals in one game a lot mm. of the time. So his his scoring figures are very very impressive, and you know he's going to be in the running for the Golden Boot most seasons where he's able to put down you know six months good form like he's been out a lot this year for example which I think is part of the reason and the counter argument to that is that he scores a lot in singular games yeah whereas like Vardy has opened the scoring I think 11 times in in the league this year and I think Kane is nine so you know, if they're scoring important goals that are the only goal of the game or you know the the match defining goal on a more regular basis than Aguero, who's scoring like how many is it, was it against Newcastle? Four, maybe. It was, it was five. It was five at the start of the season. It was three against yeah, Chelsea so just scored. now. Yeah, so I think if you're scoring goals in clumps like that against teams who aren't necessarily at the top of the table, I think it stands you at a disadvantage because people are more likely to remember the names that they see scoring more regularly in different games, like a bigger variety of games, rather than racking up, you know a third of your goals tally in three games out of the 25 or however many he's actually played this season. Yeah. Um, and also the reason they vote so early is because I guess they want an award ceremony before the season finishes, especially in a tournament year. So they want to have the glitz and the glamour and everyone in their suits and tuxedos and stuff and do the player of the year and the young player of the year and have that kind of prestige. Um, so they have to kind of get everything in early. Do you not think people would come back for awards? 
for like one big night on the town though or do you think the public are the ones that lose interest I, I don't think i genuinely don't think in a tournament year you'd get players coming back from their mm. summer holidays because when you when do you do it and and to be fair kane isn't going from all reports because we play monday yeah well exactly but also like if you if you tried to pick a week this year where you're going to do it you've got end of the season you've got fa cup final which all right probably isn't going to have many players in it because all but normally that could feature a team that are in the running you know you've got a lot of players in there um you've then got the european finals and stuff that could potentially feature players um so that could rule some of them out mm. you've also you've then got the pre uh, the pre-tournament uh euro training camps and friendlies that kick yeah. off almost you know, a week or two after the season's finished. Then you've got the Euros, which has been extended, so it's going to take even longer because now it's got 24 teams in it. Then you've got pre-season friendlies kicking off, you know, within weeks of them and finishing. And some people so, with the Olympics, like players like Neymar already being exactly, called up, yeah, we're probably going to like lose that. some. So it's, there, there really isn't much time to bring everyone back. And I think if you're celebrating that kind of achievement, I can see from their view why you don't want to celebrate that kind of achievement after something like the Euros, because there could be huge stories that come out of that that kind of overshadow the news agenda. And then you're saying, oh, remember when Dimitri Payet scored this amazing amount of free kicks and stuff and single-handedly dragged West Ham to the brink of the Champions League and then something else could have happened in the Euros that either discredits that or completely dominates it in terms of the news agenda. Yeah. So like it's if kind of- somehow went out in like the first round despite being hosts. Yeah, yeah, and like exactly. Payet like Mr. Sitter, then it's like yeah. Payet's awful. Got, How could he? If he did like a David yeah. Beckham against Argentina and like kicked someone while he was on the floor and got sent off, and that cost France their like home tournament, and now he's like the villain of the piece. Yeah. And then you got it back and say, oh look how great he is because of what he did in the West Ham shirt. Um, and I think it, it's too far gone by that point. Like you're showing a highlights package and people are genuinely going, oh yeah, remember when he did that? Whereas now <laughs> it's kind of fresh in everyone's mind. Yeah. Um. So they're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place, I guess. The earlier you vote, the, the more problematic it gets because you don't take into account what happens at the end of the season. The later you go, the more risk you run of people either not being there or it being overshadowed by something else. Yeah. Well, if voting ended in December, <laughs> Mesut Otso would have been <laughs> yeah, player of the early, year. Yeah, that's pretty isn't it? <laughs> but yeah, yeah obviously, uh, that's the second half performers, man. And, and like I said, it would be really interesting if, like the NBA, which I'm sure, I don't know, 80% of our listeners don't care about, <laughs> which might be generous, by the way. Um, not only do they have the all-star teams, but they announce the second and third teams like of groups that could have gotten in or there's a young full team. I think that would have been really interesting. Um, I didn't come up with some of these, but uh, there were some online that I thought were really interesting. Um like, a second team could have been Loris Walker, Smalling, Koscielny, Cresswell, Otzel, Dembele, Firmino, Arnautovic, Aguero, and Lukaku. Like, that is an incredible team. And it, if, if we are going to go out of our way to have this big hoopla where our idea is to just get everybody drunk and just tell everybody how great they are, like the Oscars of sports, <laughs> why not include more people? I don't know. But the, the, the list of, of players that, that aren't involved, I mean, you have De Bruyne who had his injuries. Like I said, I, I really, really like Christian Fuchs. I'm not sure I personally would have voted Rose over him. I, I don't know. It's, it's really interesting. Otzel should probably be in there. I did see a couple Liverpool fans saying this is Coutinho's year. 
I don't know. I do think he's had a better full year this year than last year when he was player of the year. So my suggestion is you just deal with it and you pretend last year's award was for this season when he's played better. That's that's my suggestion. Feel free to tweet me all of your hate at Kevroff on Twitter. All right, <laughs> we will quickly move on to Player Watch where we're not going to be discussing an actual award, but rather an internal one for your club, which is who has improved most for you this season? We'll start with Jake in Newcastle. I think there's only one player I can uh, consider for this, and that's definitely Rob Elliott. I've mm. been on the podcast before and said how well he's done. Um, I think when Tim Craw was injured, we all feared a bit because um, the backup options were Elliott, who has only played a few games and hadn't really impressed, and Carl Darlow, who recently signed from Nottingham Forest, and we didn't really know much about him. But I think Elliott came in and did really well. I think he kept us in games, made ridiculous saves, saves that if De Gea made would you know, be uh, lauded on TV as incredible saves. And I just can't believe he hasn't had sort of the the press sort of uh, coverage that he deserves for what he's done. Uh, I think it's a bit of a shame that he, he got the injury that threw him out of the Euros because I think that would have, you know, he deserved to go to the Euros and be Ireland's number one. And, it, and you know, we're obviously missing him in the running, which is a shame. And he won't be back till October, November-ish time. But yeah, he's, he's been so good. I mean, if... If we do stay up, I'd have no qualms selling Tim uh, selling Tim Krul and relying on Rob Elliott as our number one long term because I just think he's been that good. Um, I mean, I forget Tim Krul's even a Newcastle player these days because I just don't even think about him. That's, that's, that's the effect Elliott has had. Other players, I would. Well, that's difficult to mention other players that we haven't really had a great year. I'd say uh, um, Kevin and Barber has come through quite well, and when he's played, it's, it's looked good. And, you know, before he was a reserve team player that we thought wouldn't do a lot. And now he's sort of a player that could emerge in the coming seasons, especially if we go down. I think he'd be a big part of our team coming back up. Um, but, yeah, I, I think they're the only two players I can really mention. The rest of them have been pretty bad. All right. And, Jim, obviously there's a glute of options there for Leicester because of how quickly you've ascended the ranks from, as everyone knows, 20th last year, first this year. But if you had to tab one player for most improved, who would it be? Um, we already touched upon it earlier, but I think Wes Morgan probably takes that award. Um, I cannot state enough how much I was frustrated by his form last season, much to to the extent that I actually advocated dropping him completely and replacing him as captain. I think in like a preseason pod, um, which now makes me look like a moron. That's okay. Um, I had you being relegated. <laughs> yeah. You know, Much it's, it's worse. Fine. I think Leicester kind of get everyone a free pass this year from stupid predictions because <laughs> nobody expected us to do anything. Um, I just, he was woefully inadequate for the vast majority of last season at, at the Premier League level. Um, and that is not, you know, a smite on his character. His performances just weren't up to it. I don't. I didn't think, and he was kind of responsible for plenty of goals single-handedly. Whereas this year, you know, I would have to go back through them all, but I can't really remember one huge rick in a game that's kind of cost us a goal, which then could have cost us a, a point or two or three. Um, so, I think that the way that he has developed and he's kind of stepped out of Huth's shadow, like when Huth signed last uh, January on loan from Stoke, um, it was kind of a bit of an underwhelming signing. 
we didn't have a massively busy transfer window, which considering we were, you know, almost bottom, we were bottom, um, and we were kind of looking against kind of relegation certainties um, by February. It, it was kind of underwhelming to see us not do too much in this in transfer window. But I think most of that was because everyone kind of knew, not necessarily that we were going to go on to win the league <laughs> a year later, but I think. Pearson particularly knew that the squad were capable of a lot better and it was more just a case of getting the ball rolling like we did against West Ham with a kind of late Andy King goal and then using that momentum to kind of keep rolling, keep rolling, keep picking up points and then suddenly things start to go your way and you can actually put plenty of results together. Um, But Morgan still was kind of like doing fine but not brilliant. Um, So he was kind of one of the key points that I looked at pre-season and you kind of look at your team and you think, okay, who is potentially get, getting replaced in this this eleven? Um, and all credit to Ranieri because he's stuck with a formula. It could have been quite easy to come and rip the team sheet up and say, no, this is how we're doing it now. Um, you know, for a man nicknamed the Tinker Man at Chelsea, he's done remarkably little to change the kind of team in terms of setup, personnel, mm. everything. Um, but that's kind of been the main reason we've been been able to be so consistent this year. Um, the lack of injuries have meant that we can name a pretty consistent start in 11, barring suspension. Um, and that's had a huge impact on our ability to, to kind of um, succeed. So it's been pretty tough to pick one particular player that's improved, but Wes has been fantastic. He's so dominant in the air now. He and Huth have this kind of telepathic understanding of where each other are. For someone who isn't the quickest, he still can kind of keep up with the best of the best in terms of like the Premier League attackers. You've got some guys who, you know, could be 100 metre sprinters if they weren't footballers running at you these days. And so to be able to kind of positionally get yourself in the right place and kind of put your body on the line in terms of tackles, um, but still have the technique not to give away penalties and stuff. That's a a huge kind of feather in his cap. And I just think he's been absolutely fantastic. He's led from the back. Him and Kasper Schmeichel are this kind of huge influence on the back. And they've, they've kind of really stepped up their game since kind of November time. Um, Our clean sheet stats are pretty crazy. And, you know, he is a huge, huge part of that. Um, For someone to come where he has come from to to where he is now, he, you know, he he looks the part. He looks every inch the Premier League defender and the Premier League captain, um, which is something that I never thought I'd say. So on that basis, I think, you know, it has to be him. It could easily have been Vardy or Mares, someone that we kind of talked to death about. Um, but, you know, they always had that spark, that little something about them, whereas I legitimately had questions about Morgan's top flight credentials. And he's, you know, he's proved me wrong time and time again. So, yeah, it has to be Captain Wes. Yeah, and caps it with Team of the Year, as we just mentioned. Uh, so a terrific turnaround there. I mentioned my guy in my Team of the Talk, Team of the Talk, my Talk About Team of the Year. Uh, just a moment ago, but Musa Dembele has been truly incredible this season. With with how high we press up the field, if we didn't have someone with such a high motor and, and level of mobility next to Eric Dyer, we would have conceded loads more goals. They they complement each other so well. The play styles are completely different, but they form that kind of symbiotic relationship the way Parker and Modric did in our midfield, and Sandro and Modric before that. Um <laughs> Genus and Palacios <laughs> the oldest school um, but it really has gone so well for us Dyer's role is just to get the ball to Musa or the wingers Musa's role is just beat your man 
then make the easiest pass available, which is usually Christian Eriksen with Ali getting forward so much. Get it, get it up there and then move right back back with Dyer uh, to shield any potential counterattacks. And, and kind of on the topic of Eriksen, it took me far longer than I'd care to admit uh, to notice that Eriksen has not been a pure quote-unquote number 10 for us uh, and hasn't been for quite some time. I, I was complaining about his play a lot because it was neither the way we'd seen him play at Ajax nor his first year at Tottenham where he obviously took the league by storm. He, he's no longer the luxury player in our side. He's not Vondervaart 2.0, which is what I think I always wanted him to be, especially with that background in Dutch football um, at Ajax. But he's now a player that is incredible uh, in the press. He's begun to use his tremendous vision to shut down passing lanes as often as he exploits them in attack. And, and while this has limited some of his individual brilliance, I think it shows the character that I've accused him of lacking in that he was willing to give up his individual play style. We, we don't use him to the best of his abilities because in this new role that we've shaped for him, it benefits the team. And I think that shows a dedication to the side that Pochettino has largely uh, instilled in, in kind of the ethos of the club, but the fact that he was willing to do it and so drastically from the player that he used to be, which really was a luxury player. You give him 60 minutes, he'll create everything on the pitch. Um, but now he's so much more active in, in other aspects of the game. And, and like I said, I, I failed to recognize that for <laughs> way too long. Um, but anyway, Dembele for most improved player of the year with a shout to Ericsson for adapting his game and becoming a perfect piece in our team's puzzle, despite not naturally being the fit that you would have expected. All right, well, we are quickly running out of time, but we will very quickly do uh, our match previews. We'll start with Jim. Lester versus Swansea, you already said you're thinking of win even without Vardy. Any further thoughts? No, I just think, yeah, I think we're going to have a bit too much for them, even though we... Um... We're kind of missing Vardy, so I think it will be less comfortable than it was were he in the team, but I think maybe like a 2-0 Leicester win would be kind of what I'd be looking at. All right, and Jake, you're going to be traveling to Anfield. Liverpool have obviously turned a corner, but they do have the Europa League to still worry about. How confident are you in this one? Yeah, I did the uh, preview for this uh, EPL index. So I understand there's so many um, factors that will come into play about uh, what the result will be. Um Obviously, you've got the backstory of uh, Liverpool-Newcastle being a massive game in the Premier League. You have Benitez returning to Anfield. And obviously, we beat them earlier in the season, so there could be an element of wanting revenge for that. Um, it all depends on what team Liverpool put out and sort their mentality, um, whether they want to uh, try and avoid injury before the Europa League or sort of take it easy, go through the motions a bit, or if they're you know, determined to carry on their, their momentum going into that game. If they put out a weakened team, I'm, I'm confident if we... And, Coupled with if we repeat the performance against Man City, I'm confident we could take something. But I've got a, I've got a bad thing. It's going to be a uh, narrow defeat, and I'm hoping if it is a narrow defeat, that it is one that doesn't sort of destroy all our confidence going into the last three games. All right, uh, Tottenham have West Brom this week. They're losing currently as we record this two nil to Arsenal. Although they've already had a couple of chances that they probably should have turned in. Uh, West Brom have the second worst attack in the Premier League. Tottenham have the best defense in the Premier League. You got to be confident, especially on form. Kane's just been tremendous lately. Della Ali, you know, 
people are going to need to learn how to adjust to him next year because people sure haven't figured it out this year. He still gets so much space and play. And there was actually a really interesting article with Jeff Cameron, who is a U.S. international, talking about why Tottenham are so difficult to play. And he was basically just citing the interchanging that goes on with Lamilla Erickson and Ali, that he never knows where people are going to go. And then also mentioned that Kane's willingness to drop back, which we've talked with Dave Hendrick a lot before, that maybe Kane instinctively wants to be the second striker in a two-striker formation. Probably not a pure 10, but he, he likes to create, so sometimes he'll pull back and allow Ali to go over the top, and that, that is very difficult for teams to, to live with. And as West Brom often try to set up to defend... We, we saw it last time, that Alderweireld to Ali long ball. I think that was the match where Ali nutmegged the keeper uh, on one touch with a crazy lobbed ball where he cut in front of Kane and the defense just wasn't prepared for it. So uh, unless West Brom are randomly the first team that really figures it out this season, uh, I think we should be pretty confident in this one. Uh, <laughs> of course they'll score one against us. It'll be Sandro uh, Ranieri because we love him and, and him leaving made us very sad, but it looks like he might finally be getting back to health after all these years, so I'm going to say Tottenham 2-1. All right, and with that, we are out of time, so if you have any projects you'd like to plug or want to tell people where to reach you, now would be a good time. Yeah, cheers for listening. Um, you can get my stuff on EPL Index, uh, Total Dutch Football, or uh, the back page, and you can get me on Twitter at Jake Jackman with two ends. Thanks for listening, guys. I've been Jim. Uh, you can find my stuff at goal.com on the UK and, uh, and international editions. I wrote a piece on uh, Leicester's Player of the Year for our, our kind of vote fan poll type thing. Um, so that might be worth a look if you want to kind of register your vote there, if that's still running by the time you hear this. Other than that, yeah, at Jim 88 on Twitter if you want to tell me how good Mesut Ozil is. I'm at Kev Ruff on Twitter, Kevin DeVries, obviously the host of this show. Uh, You can find my fantasy writings over at TheEaglesBeak.com as well as PlayTaga.com where I also do player rankings. So be sure to check those out since it's a shortened game week. I also host the FPL Roundtable, which goes up on Thursdays. You can also hear me on Tuesdays on All In Sports Talk, and there are going to be some pretty exciting developments to come from that soon as well. Uh, So just keep it tuned into the Twitter again, at Kev Ruff, if you want more information on that. And again, if you want to reach us at the podcast, at EPL Roundtable on Twitter, or email us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.